Please note, this episode contains some strong language and references mental health issues. Please see the show notes for helpful links. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Correct. And this is the thing, when people come to the house to do the podcast, they end up staying for hours because we've had the chat you know, and I've got the kettle on and the rest of it, and I'm like, ah, oh, we should do the recording, and we do the recording, and then there's a chat afterwards, so it's probably just as well you didn't come to my house because you'd never yeah. leave. I love I love a good gab, I love a good natter, we would have been there for hours. <laughs> well, you are a very important person and very busy person, Ellie alone, so I very much appreciate this window of time. <laughs> oh, no, listen, thanks for having us. Any, any, I, love, I love people, like, talking about their careers and stuff, and, like, you know how much you can learn from other people but at any given opportunity anybody that does something that they love like even when we were just talking about julie's podcast there with her friend that's a midwife like that's such a beautiful thing that she said of like she came off the podcast and went oh i love talking i love my i've just realized you know how much i really love my job like people love talking about what they're up to and so this is what's amazing about your podcast is to give a platform to talk about that and then other people listen to it and go oh i'm going to take a wee bit from them and them and them and implement that into my own stuff so Ah, I love it. And like Scottish people love talking, especially like Glaswegians. We love it. <laughs> I've really had to like hone the skill of listening because I like talking. <laughs> no, but I love talking. And like, and it's that thing. It's like, it's, it's, it's funny because my family are all like big personalities. And when we get together, our way of communicating is going, I and this and this. And we, we kind of overlap each other. And like, it's funny because I've had like, you know, like English pals of mine and like my boyfriend's from Watford so like him coming into that environment and being like this is so new and that different way of cultures communicating it's like it's not that we're we are rude or like we're not giving people the air to speak it's just that we go and we go and we go and I think like when I moved down to London like I understood that that wasn't like a universal way of communicating like you stop you breathe, somebody has something else to say and it's a kind of, and that's absolutely grand as well, but like we we in my house are just like, and it's just it's chaos, like it's absolutely mental. It's funny you say that because my sister's partner is from London and we had like a family gathering in the house on Saturday night and at one point I was just like looking at Martina, I was like, are you getting any of this? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because we were just, and actually it was because we were talking about old Scottish songs, like ones you used to sing at school, like the Jelly Peace song and like, you know, and Mary's Wedding and then, and then it was like, oh, last night was a murder in the chip shop and <laughs> I, wish, I wish I just looked at it and I was like, are you getting any of this nonsense that we're talking? But that's the thing, it's like, I'm always fascinated. So to preface this conversation, we've never met and I know about you because of all the amazing things that have been said and written about you so we've never met i i've I, you know i'm admittedly haven't seen any of your work yet but i'm bet because <laughs> but your uh your um what's that word your reputation precedes you Ailey, because there's so much buzz and excitement around your stuff and i remember um when people were talking about moorcroft i was like gutty like that proper I, like feeling of fomo like how come i wasn't there because everybody 
loved it and they were saying all these amazing things and you know i've seen the, the, the images from the production i was just like gutted like i feel like proper fomo so um yeah i just thought i'm just going to reach out to you and make this connection and then it means when i really do get to experience your work i'm like happy or no her i've i've spoke to her i know about the ins and outs so this is just a selfish uh reason to to get you on the podcast just to hear all about your creative process and how you got to where you're doing the thing that you clearly love to do oh no that's that's you know it's overwhelmed thanks so much for the, your your kind words like it's it's mad it's crazy and I'm just really grateful for you inviting us on and giving us the chance to sort of speak about it a little bit more and and um yeah it's it's been it's been a bit mad it's been a bit crazy and like it's so funny Lisa because like you work so hard like this is, I was actually just talking to a pal of mine about this the other day about it's like gets to a certain point when people see like the end results of things and go oh my god they're doing so well and it's like I it's great and it's, it's lovely to celebrate but the thing that I celebrate the most is like the actual grafting to get to that point which a lot of people miss because sometimes you just kind of pop up and, you know, some actors, writers or, you know, whatever creative person pops up and then all of a sudden they're doing loads of work. But behind that is like, you know, I mean, and certainly in my case, it wasn't anything that was just like, oh, there you go. No. You know, it's handed on a plate off you go into the industry. Like there is years of that grafting and the rejection and the nose and the pick one career, don't do it all. Those things that are behind it that like. I am willing at any opportunity to talk to anybody about or any creative people that are maybe thinking about doing the crossovers of disciplines and anything because, you know, it is, we do sometimes the same with social media and stuff like that. We focus so much on what the person's doing and go, oh, they're doing this and this and this, which is amazing. But we don't often spend time going, well, how did they get there and how can I learn from that journey? And especially... Especially like when you've you've kind of came out of drama school and everybody's at a different bit of their career and some move quick, some move slow, some whatever. It's hard to not, you know, sit into that environment of like, oh my God, I'm not doing anything and I'm not working and everybody else around me is. And it's 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 a skill to be able mm. to train embrace other people's work and happiness and all that kind of stuff and not become one of those creatives that sits and goes well nothing's happening for me it's going well make it fucking happen for you <laughs> go out there and start grafting it doesn't just get handed to you <laughs> so important you say that so important and it because and it is that age-old thing of like instagram's a highlight reel and it is do you know what I mean and we put most of the good bits and we don't you know the behind the scenes but and i think that's why i wanted to do this podcast because as you know, I'm so lucky to to do the job that I do as a dance artist and choreographer. You know, I'm getting into situations where I'm working with people. You know, Ka Gary Cameron, eh? Yes. Oh, he is just Gary and I worked together for the first time on Moorcroft. Hadn't known each other, and since have made quite a few bits and are continuing to make work together. And he's the perfect example of when you find your you find your collaborators that are so. You know, often sometimes in acting work, you turn up, you do your job, you know, Julie puts it really well across, in, you know, her, her podcast with you of like, you only have a short time with them. And that could be six months, it could be a year. It's not something that you're stuck in permanently for, you know, 15 years or whatever it is. But you meet people along the way that you gather. And like, especially when you're a creative, you know, you're always looking for new people to collaborate with. But sometimes you find like a couple of people that you're like, you're my person. And Gary's one of them. I think he is one of the most 
open and creative and fun and like he's just a sensational artist and you know him and his wife Jill and their little new baby Jude like they are watching the way that they work as a family I just think is something to be completely admired I just think they're awesome and I said I was met, met up with Gary for coffee the other day to talk about something else that we're doing together and we were just chatting like I always recommend you to people and I always recommend you to people because that's what the industry is about you know you help each other He's amazing. So he's a good you know. egg. He is a good egg. I just mentioned him because he'd mentioned you, and that's partly the reason why I messaged you because I worked with Gary years ago um, on some Tron productions, youth theatre stuff, and he was—he's like an OG member of the Bron the Brave because the Bron the Brave was a blog before it was a podcast, and it was just that you know. I was working with Gary, but I didn't obviously really know much about what he'd done before. And obviously you can read stuff on the internet if you like, but I just was like, so what, like, what are you up to and what, what have you done before? And like, what kind of music do you like? And I just was just was interested on how you do his job as well as a composer. I'm like, how do you make music yeah. for a show? Like, what's your creative process? So we just like went for a coffee like that, sat down and had a chat and just, yeah, he's like one of those people that really inspired what the podcast is now, just because it is, nothing's linear, nobody's pathway is, um, you know, very rarely are people just handed stuff. But I think because of the social media aspect, I love social media, it's great. But, you know, there's a place and a time for it in terms of like, you don't see the grafting. And it's important that you're saying, because people will be looking to you, like I introduced you, like, hey, you're doing so well, you're, and people are saying amazing things, you're like, aye, aye, aye. But nobody's seen me in the house, like, with my hair scraped back, stressing out my box a bit. So, you know, like, I fell asleep last night fully clothed, you know, because I'm absolutely shattered, because I'm driving out of the place, doing a million things, spinning a million plates. But on Instagram, I'm like, I'm doing this show and I'm making this podcast. Like, I'm not putting a picture of me sitting on the couch with my makeup on, fully clothed at five o'clock in the morning because I fell asleep. And I think that's why this long formness of the podcast is important to me because it's about getting the full story and like saying to other people who know nothing of the world that you work in, here's what it's like. But also to people who want to, uh, who are in that industry to go, oh, yeah, there's great, there's high, you know, there's highs and lows, it's a roller coaster. So what was the shininess? Like, what was the, you being a magpie of, what was the shininess of you wanting to do, the, get into this world of writing, directing, acting? Like, what was it for you that kind of sparked that interest initially? I mean, like, my mum and dad would describe me as a wee kid of just been like that wee show off that used to, like, take over the living room. And, you know, they all they wanted to do was watch Ant and Dex Saturday Night Takeaway. And I was like, no, I'm doing the one woman, Annie. And like, or I'm doing the one woman, Oliver, everybody sit down. And and that's, it's funny when you like directing was something that came much later, like, you know, sort of after drama school and things like that. But I look back on it and go, my cousins used to come down from, they lived in Aberdeen and they used to come down and one's the same age as me, one's a couple years younger. And they used to get, you know, like just, dressed up in the most ridiculous costumes and me like going okay Caitlin you stand there and you're going to say this line and and was and you know that kind of kids in the playground and they, they saw how much I loved singing and dancing and all that stuff and my parents are genuinely like the most amazing amazing people on the planet I've been so unbelievably encouraging of both my, me and my sister my sister's at university at the minute studying to be a nurse 
And so whatever the, whatever we wanted to do with our careers, you know, or our lives or whatever, they would be insanely proud of us, especially when it came to how unpredictable and unstable the creative industry can be. You know, my dad didn't get to live his dream, you know, due to not being encouraged outside his hometown and class in order to go and try. So he certainly wasn't going to let his two children, regardless of what it was they wanted to do, how much money, stability, whatever it was, he wasn't going to not allow them to give that a go. And so many times my dad was like, if it doesn't work and you want to come back and you want to, you know, pick up a part-time job somewhere, whatever. We don't care. We'll be proud of you regardless, you know, and proud of my sister regardless as we'll, we all are. Like, she's just up there living her life, getting her hair dyed and getting many piercings at 18 years old up in Aberdeen, and I'm loving it. I'm like, yes. <laughs> she was definitely much more, like, I was, a, I was a gobby little shite when I was younger, and, like, especially at school, like, all my reports were, like, she talks too much and, like, you know all that stuff and Erin Erin's a lot more sensitive and quiet and I love that she's kind of coming out in this like I'm at uni I'm 18 I can get my hair dyed without mum's permission <laughs> so I <I'm>, like <laughs> love it love it <laughs> but that's yeah. the thing isn't it like um, it's great that you've had that support in terms of your parents saying like you can be whatever you want to be go and try stuff like you, you know you can fail if you you know nothing's going to affect how we feel about you and we're going to be there for you regardless but it's another thing like not getting in your own way so do you think they instilled that confidence in you to be like do you know what I can because it's one thing somebody saying I I think you can do it but it's another thing telling yourself that you can yeah it definitely comes from my dad like he is of that working class mentality that you graft for something that you want and you know that was my dad going out in Thailand bathrooms and whatever in order to get money to go on holiday or like do you know what I mean it, it's it is that mentality of if you want something you go out and you make your own money and you get it and it was like you know I had loads I, I started like work when I was like 12 I was like the Avon girl from our street and then I went into like a hairdressers and like I've always worked and I've always really enjoyed working and that does come from my dad and um and I do believe that sort of confidence is like is from him because he's such a He's such an amazing man. Like, he's my hero. I say it, like, all the time. And my my mum's an amazing woman, and she's just so strong and powerful. And I think having them as influences, like, made me feel like, regardless of where I came from, you know, I could achieve anything I wanted. And that's hard for, like, you know, two working-class parents who... I, I didn't know growing up the circumstances that we were in sometimes because my mum and dad never, ever let me feel like I was anything less than other kids or like that I went to school with and I've had the most amazing and feels like in terms of community and family and relationships like a total privileged upbringing in terms of you know that aspect not in terms of money and all that kind of thing but like I think I really understood that when I did go down to drama school and you do see kids around you that aren't the same or like I remember questioning my mum being like oh my god like we're different like we're because everybody that I grew up with in my street you know you go into your neighbor's house and board and there's a real community feeling as soon as that was taken away from me and I realized oh not everybody has that same you know helping each other out thing like that really was scary and and it was hard like it's hard for my mum and dad to have like you know this industry isn't cheap if you're a kid and you want dance lessons and singing lessons and drama club and all the rest of it you know my mum and dad never wanted to feel like I wasn't allowed to go and try and do these things and so therefore money conversations of like how are we going to afford to put her through a singing lessons or whatever else like you know when I was a wee kid and then 
I was fortunate enough to go to the Dance School of Scotland for four years, which obviously the financial pressures of that is that you're going and you're training for four years for free. Like you audition, you go in, you work like a drama school. Like, And then it was at that point that my mum and dad actually asked the head of the school, look, we are not in this industry here. Like, gonna just be honest with us, we don't want to be those X Factor parents that are biased and think our daughter's amazing and tell her, you're fab. And then she goes down to London and all of a sudden, like, you know, it doesn't happen for her. Like, yeah. you know, are we wasting our time and our money? and Because they just didn't know. And so, mm-hmm. because... They got hit, they got, when we went for that first initial meeting, you know, at that school, like they got hit with, um, oh, when, you're, when your child wants to then go down to drama school in London or whatever else, and they got given like a sheet of paper that says how much money this is going to be to fund your kids to go and further their education at drama school. And my mum cried, I've been like, how are we going to let this happen for her? You know, how are we going to do it? And they... And they fucking did it. Like, and I don't know how. And it's something that I'll never be able to repay my parents for their kindness and their generosity. And a sacrifice, it was a sacrifice. But they don't call it a sacrifice because they're like, you're my daughter and I'd do that for you regardless. Yeah. It's something that I genuinely think and believe wholeheartedly that all of the things that are happening in my life right now and the hard work and whatever wouldn't have existed without my parents. And it's like not just because they're my parents, because of the people that they were and the things that they have done for their children. Given their circumstances, they are remarkable people. And we joke all the time, like, you know, my, my dad, if I was ever stuck, at the, I worked, you know, all the way through drama school and all the rest of it, but if I was ever stuck for money, you know, my dad would always be angry that I didn't tell him because he'd be like, I'll give you a spare £20 or whatever it is. And he'd always joke and be like, it's fine, you'll pay me back one day when, like, you're, you're rich and famous and there's now a running in the family like oh she, she's paid you back by writing a play but you like that's enough <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say <laughs> you're like because I, I wondered that is Moorcroft a love letter then to your parents certainly to um to m- not even just my parents just to the community that I grew up in I think a lot of my work at the minute is centered around that I'm just finished filming the short film that we made so and I'm over in Rossi at the minute doing some research for another project and that you know I used to come here as a kid so there's a lot of my work at the minute that is centered around representing people in the places where I grew up because I feel like that is something I'm really passionate about putting on screen and Moorcroft especially like you know we had something we're very proud of was you know we had 55 percent of the ticket sales for Moorcroft were people that had never booked to go to the Tron before. And the majority of our audiences were people from Renfrew and Paisley and Govan and, you know, places that Moorcroft existed, that the, the real football team played against, were coming to the theatre for the first time. And, I mean, my, like, my dad said that like, a few of his pals had asked him, like, you know, what do you wear? Like, what do you wear to the theatre? Because they'd never gone. And those types of things, like, matter, you know, is making it accessible and, and doing, our, doing the work to go into communities and, and, you know, bring people in environments where they feel welcome. Like, I mean, I went to London and like, walked into the National Theatre for the first time. I was like, that I shouldn't be here. And I'm an actor and I was like, I shouldn't be here. And it's because of how unwelcomed I felt just in my first, like, 18, being in London, there was all these people around me. And a lot of that is totally my own insecurity. That's nothing to do with the theatre or the building, but it's to do with me and how I felt of where I come from and where I placed myself in society and the industry as well. Of I don't deserve to be in this building there because I don't understand it or like, you know, it's going to go over my head because I'm not intelligent enough. And all these things that a lot of working class people, you know, regurgitating from generations of feeling that way about art. So, 
Moorcroft has been life-changing, not just because of putting the play on, but because of my relationships with my dad and my family and his relationships with his friends and the conversations that it sparked between, you know, people in the industry versus people that aren't in the industry and, like, addressing important matters. So, like, you know, all of my work feels like a love letter to my parents. And the thing that I'm working on at the minute is, you know, the first time that my own experiences have been put into something and so then it's a love letter to your younger self so it's all these things that you know you pull from your own experiences and are great for some of them you know I'm walking around here going oh my god I remember doing that when I was wee and that wasn't really cool or sound or like all these things come back to you but you know you realize like how far you've come and like the person that you are so to to reflect back on anything in your life and be able to make a play or a film or anything about it I have so much respect for people that take something from the past and you know and make it you know some as cheesy as it sounds like beautiful work and and that's what I hope to do I hope to always be able to champion like the people the places the communities the stories where I come from regardless of the scale of the work well surely that's what storytelling is you know I mean like if you think about people around campfires and I mean like storytelling is as old as it is it was people just reflecting their own stories back at themselves, do you know what I mean? Like, because we, we've always longed for that kind of, that connection with others, to see ourselves and other people, to be inspired, to feel more close. And, you know, so that's what theatre should do. It should shine a mirror on the people that are coming. But like you say, it's those people who feel that they can't even step foot in the door. I mean, I really liked, like, I worked in a panto at Christmas, Glasgow Life put on a panto that they take into communities. So there's a professional panto where it goes touring around community centres and stuff. I mean, we could get in a conversation about the price of theatre and, you know, the accessibility of theatre for, for everybody, you know. Um, but I think it, it is really important that stories of people are told, like, that it's not necessarily... I mean, there's a place for Shakespeare and there's a place for opera and, like, essentially it's for everyone and it should be. Unfortunately, not everybody's able to access all the time but I think it's important the work that you're doing because your story is important and the people that you, you grew up with and even your parents stories are the things that we should be you know celebrating and acknowledging yeah totally and it's it's off that that then sparks like a, a confidence to go and see things that you maybe didn't go and see and Correct. I mean I, I love classical text I love it I love Shakespeare love Henry Gibson's work, Chekhov's work, I love it. But I was definitely made to feel sometimes at drama school that this work wasn't for me and that my voice wasn't to represent that work. And that is a very dated view of the industry. And that's when we start to intellectualise it to a point that doesn't feel accessible. So absolutely, my mum and dad were not going to go and watch a Shakespeare because they have, oh, Shakespeare, oh, that's boring. It's not boring. They've just it's, never it's seen just it. It's a story. It's a story like any other. Uh -huh. And I think that, that, you know, even like stories are told in particular accents as well. I mean, this has come up in the podcast a lot about, you know, well, if you're going to do Shakespeare, um, you're going to do it in RP. No, I'm just going to do it more accent. <laughs> like oh, Don't even get me started on that point. Honestly, the anger. I'm working with um, the brilliant kids at the Theatre College of Scotland at the minute, and we're doing A Doll's House. It's one of my favourite plays. I absolutely love it. And I studied it at Higher English and hated it, absolutely hated it, because I was made to, it was, oh, so Ibsen, da, 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 and it was made to feel really like, you know, unaccessible I hated it so when I went to drama school and I was in my first year and we got split into sort of two groups and 
one group was studying little aisles and one group was studying adults house I was crossing my fingers not to be in the dolls house groups I thought I cannot sit and I cannot bear going through this again I've just I've just left high school I've just done it at my higher English we'll and I don't it. want to we'll be doing it again <laughs> and then I did it in drama school and I, I loved it I absolutely loved it but um there was other there was other lessons where our, my Glaswegian accent was not allowed and therefore the kids that I'm teaching at the minute you know I first said right we're doing a doll's house by Henry Gibson and yes we're going to be in character skirts and yes we're going to be in our character heels but we are doing this play in our own voices like we're not putting any sort of filtered oh this is how you perform classical texts and this is how it should be said and and it's bringing it to you know that even if you are doing an accent fine but it still needs to be rooted in truth it's not just a wash of oh let's just do it in the way that we all think classical text should be done there's nothing wrong with doing Shakespeare or any of this work in RP accents as long no. as it's in truth I'm there for it but still don't dismiss other regional voices to play people of class or upstairs roles or any of that like we're more than the maid do you know what I mean <laughs> correct correct yeah, no, I really, I really admire that. And like any time we have that conversation, like it just, it, it does inspire me because even just like the use of Scots, for instance, like I'm really passionate about Scots language and, you know, I write poetry in Scots and um, I don't proclaim to be an expert by any means. But, you know, if we don't keep speaking the way that we speak, then we're going to lose it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And like, how are people going to feel that, that theatre or film or TV is for them if they don't see themselves reflected back? Do you know what I mean? And Murcroft is written, the actual text is written in Glaswegian dialect. And I have had Glaswegian people, Irish people, you know, northern people, you know, southern English people, so many like different varieties of accents and read the play. And it's not, it's not they're going, they go, oh, what does that mean? And I'm like, oh, that's Scottish for this. And they go, fine, but they can cool. still read the play. <laughs> yes, totally. And we move forward. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you just go, oh, Faye, what's that? Oh, like, Faye, like, I come from there. Like, I come from there. All right, cool. And then the rest of the play. Do you know what I mean? It's not as if it's, like, complete alien to, like, you know, and it's the same, like, one of my really, really good pals, Charlotte Mellon, who runs Almost Tangible, came to, and she's not Glaswegian, and um, she came to watch the show and was like, oh, my God, that's so funny. I love Glaswegians. I love the humour. Don't get me wrong. There were bits of it that I had, that took, like, everybody else was laughing and then I was laughing maybe 15 seconds later because I had to work out what it was. But it's still, you know, it's 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 not just for Scottish people. <laughs> Absolutely. And that crossover, you spoke about it briefly earlier on. Um, I wonder, like, when you were at drama school and you you experiencing all these kind of new feelings about what you wanted to explore in terms of themes and characters that you wanted to play as an actor at that time were you clear in your kind of direction of I am I am going to write I am going to direct I am going to be a filmmaker or were you predominantly there as an actor yeah I'd always I love I love the process of creating stuff and but I'd never I'm really dyslexic as well so you know I was always skipped COVID in English when we had to read aloud or stuff because I couldn't really read out loud. And they all just thought I was being a bit of a fanny and trying to like annoy people because they were like, just read. And I was like, I can't read. And just, you know, but you hide behind the sort of banter and stuff like that. You know, I didn't get diagnosed with dyslexia until I was 17. So, you know, and absolutely, of course, it went totally undiagnosed because I was just like 
really confident and would talk and whatever. So they thought, oh, she's just she's just um she's just acting up and playing a fool, you know, and just doing that early thing of talking and being annoying. But I was actually going, no, the letters are moving about here. I don't know why that is. <laughs> wow. Um, so writing was never something that was ever ever in my mind at all until drama school and. We had, there was a couple of lectures um, at my drama school, you know, who really, really changed my life. One of them was a guy called Carl Precop, who I'm still really good pals with. And he actually gave me like one of my first jobs out of drama school, who shifted that narrative of, you know, what we were just talking about of, you know, classical texts for this certain person. And without Carl, like, I wouldn't have, it's so hard to say that in Scottish. I was just, I was literally like, just going to say the same thing. <laughs> I turn it to think about it. I'm like, Carl, like, I need to think about it. Why can't I? I'm like, because I'd say Carol, and he's like, but that's Carol. And I'm like, I know, it's a hang. It's just a hang. It's a Scottish hang. <laughs> uh, and then there was another brilliant, there was another brilliant teacher called um, Dom Burdess, who was like our comedy, our comedy teacher. And some of these lessons you're sitting going, and oh, there's and the other guy was Ian Ricketts, who was like one of the, the oldest drama school teachers. Like, he was 80 when I was at GSA, and like, and some of the lessons you're sat there going, what the hell is the point of this? Like, what is the point? We did this exercise with Dom where, he, you know, you weren't allowed to sit down until you made the room laugh. And some people were going up and down and up and down. And it wasn't until I left drama school, I going, oh, he was teaching you how to fail and get back up and try again. And and the same with Ian Ricketts. He'd read us a poem, then we'd all just run about for two hours. And I was going, what is this about? And then I went, oh, he was teaching you how to have fun. Like he was teaching you like, come in, talk about a lovely poem and then let's just fucking run about and have a laugh. And that's what we do with our jobs. Like we we'd sometimes get so serious about it. And so it was through that, that kind of went, oh, this is great. And this feeling is great, but I'm not getting it sometimes from like, you know, this very linear, you're an actor, you come in, you audition, you learn and like, I wasn't being like creatively stimulated at all. And so, you know, I started, we did like a short film project we had to get in teams and like write a film and shoot it and whatever else and and it was off of that that I went oh I love this I absolutely love this so we set up like a little short film company like me and a couple of my peers in drama school that were also interested in the potential of directing or writing or producing or whatever it was and we would like write a short film, like film it at the weekend, ask if we could borrow the kit. None of us is the fucking clue what we were doing. We were like setting cameras up and going, I don't know what shot this is. I don't know any of that or whatever it was. And we were just giving it a go. And they were awful. Like they were absolutely awful. But like, at least we were giving it a go and we were trying. I always knew I kind of like had this brilliant, my dad would tell me these stories about his football team and stuff and I just thought it was remarkable and I always thought oh, that would be a brilliant play or a film or something dad or even Moorcroft and name that's a class like band name or something like and I never really knew what I wanted to do with it until you know we spent these long car drives like from London to Guildford, London to Glasgow to Guildford and like you know moving my stuff and all the rest of it and me and my dad got really close and started talking about it and I just put I just went I'm going to just start writing this down because it also it also sort of occurred to me when I was at drama school, you know, that I didn't want to be one of those actors that sits and waits for the phone to ring and waits to audition and then becomes really, you know, bitter and annoyed. Yeah, disillusioned by it all. Uh-huh. I'd worked with one actor in the past who was incredible, but just said, I can't get over, I cannot program my brain to switch off like I'm on a job and then I'm constantly looking for the next thing and I thought I don't want to be like that that's I just think that's quite miserable and and just so much of when you're an actor isn't in your control like 
I've seen mates go up, like some of my pals are sensational actors and I've seen them go up for roles that they deserve and they so fit the part and all the rest of it. And they're like, we're really sorry, you just didn't fit the look with the lead guy or whatever it is. And that's not yeah. on the talent, their ability. It's tough going. It sounds like really difficult. Oh. And, you know, I speak to so many actors that are like, you know, it looks like I'm working all the time, but I'm not. There's periods of time where I'm not and I'm doing something else. And that's not necessarily a negative, of course. It's not like because you're getting life experience and you're working, you're paying your bills, you're, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, like if you go into this world, you want to be doing the thing that you love to do. Do you know what I mean? And when you're not, it must be just really difficult to go, how long can I sustain this for, this one thing? It's so difficult. It really is. And like, you know, the rejections, like, some of them hit harder than others. Like, if you've been going up for this thing that you love so much and it could be a life-changing opportunity and whatever it is, and you don't get it, you're allowed to grieve that. Like, you're allowed to... I think sometimes we're too, we're too much on get up and get on with it. I, I, I give myself the day. I'm like, let me just feel what I want to feel about this and be upset about it for the day and then up tomorrow and crack on because I'm not going to let it define me. I'm not going to let it you know hinder what I want to do it's just not right for me and you know being on the other side of like the table that you know casting yeah. act it's been remarkable because when you go into when you go into rooms like and you have had the experience I say I say to actors all the time if you've got casting director pals or like you've got mates that are making work sit on the other side and just watch people audition because it tells you a lot tells you a lot when an actor walks in the room and I, I think confidence is one of the most attractive things you go I want to work with you because you know that you're good and now there's that fine line between the confidence and the arrogance that's tiny I think the arrogance comes from a lot of vulnerability but when somebody walks in a room and they own the space and they know they're good and they know they're shit, I'm like that, you, I gravitate towards you because I'm intimidated by your own confidence and your own success. I love people like that. But then, do you know, I and think that's a Scottish thing of like, oh, like, don't, oh, she's confident as if that's like a negative thing. Oh, yeah, yeah I've definitely faced that. I've definitely faced that, that me and my really good pal, uh, Kirsty, who's a school teacher, um, she's a higher English teacher. We were laughing a couple of months ago about that comment, I she pure loves herself. Like, I find it so funny because we were saying like, so what? If you want to put yourself in your Instagram and get your makeup on, go for it. Like, why? Who are we to go? Oh, they pure love themselves. Like, mm-hmm. it's just mental to me. Like, it's mental to me that, like, us as Scots, like, you know, dumb down our achievements or our success or the way that we look and the, how we feel about our bodies or anything like that. Like, we're, we're constantly going, oh, no, I don't. And don't get me wrong, like, it's taken me, like, I, like probably about five or six years and I've, I've been quite open and transparent about mental health on my social media because um, I think it's important. But, like... Yeah. It's you gotta be like you gotta especially like if you if you are like in the creative industry and you know you are doing well for like and, and the industry goes like that, you can do really well and then you can have quiet periods and whatever else. Like it's good to showcase it. But uh, I've always been quite transparent on there because of that, like of, of the things that we've you know we've, ju- we've just said of like it's yeah, it's as well as your career being a roller coaster, so is your mental health and your confidence. Like some days you'll be feeling gallus, do you know what I mean? And that's the days where you just make stuff happen. You're like, so I'm feeling it the day and I can, you know, yesterday I put a post on saying like, if anybody's looking for an events host, like Q&A host, like that's, I'm your person. 
I won't put that up every day because I won't be feeling that every day. Other days I'll be like, I'm a total imposter. Who do I think I am? Like, I'm not very good at this, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? So on the days where you are feeling gallus, like, go for it. Do you know what I mean? Because nothing is linear. Do you know what I mean? And at the very least, you'll inspire somebody else. If you are if you just put yourself out there on that day, even if you're not fully 100% behind yourself, like, just do it anyway because... See, even if you can inspire somebody else, well, their job done. If you've given somebody else a bit of a leg up or you've given somebody else the confidence to go, well, you know, if she can do it, so can I. Great, then that's a gift. Absolutely. And it's like, I've I've suffered from, like, panic attacks and anxiety since I've probably been about 14. Like, I started counselling when I was about 14 or 15. And my whole life I've been in and out of therapy for loads of different reasons. And it's something that when I was a teenager, I was unbelievably ashamed of that I had a problem and I was going to have to talk to somebody about it and all this stuff. And then when I spoke to my dad, and me and my dad started to talk about the fact that he went and a lot of Moorcroft, you know, kind of unpicks like, you know, my dad's mental health through the years of loss and grief that he's experienced and the guilt of, you know, still being here kind of thing. Like we spoke a lot about it and I thought, do you know what? Like more people need to know that seeking help for your your mind isn't isn't a bad thing at all and it's the same like I took a lot a lot of time being able to be proud of my my confidence because I, I, I'm quite like I'm I love the way I dress like I'm a total like northern soul mod like vibe. I love the way you dress so cool I have to go well we will go into that but I, I'm like I screenshotted a picture of you and I was like that is just cool like oh. you're wearing that you're wearing like a like a kind of pinstripe tartan suit I think it is and because I was looking for pictures for because I, I need to go and get like shots done and I was like that's the vibe we're going to channel Ailey alone when we're getting the picture taken so you, you totally inspired me like fashion is a way that I like fashion is art to me cheesy yeah. but it is nope. I love yeah. I love patterns I love feeling materials I love straight and different silhouettes and like and I, you know I, I don't make my own clothes I tried to during lockdown I made a couple of dresses and stuff but I just don't I'm not that really like you know not kind of artsy fartsy at all craft I just love it I love but it takes I remember being at school once and I just what it was like I was 16 and I've always grown up in the soul scene thanks to my dad and I've always been around you know Fred Perry and that kind of like very dressed or suited you know pinstripe suit sort of like vibe or like the haircuts and whatever else and I always, that was my family, you know, that was like, that was the people I looked up to and the fashion that I looked up to. And I remember I watched Quadrophenia with my dad for the first time and just felt really seen in that film. I felt, felt that, like, I, I felt, it's amazing. And I felt like that's my people and that's my community. And I was growing up at a time of like skins and stuff like that. And like, that wasn't necessarily the same vibe as like yeah. dressing in a and a Fred Perry or whatever and, and then This Is England was a huge massive impact in my life because I felt like the fashion and the skinheads like were something that I could really relate to not in terms of some of the values in This Is England and what the skinheads stand for but the way that they dressed was something I saw get on screen with Fred Perry and that was amazing to me and I remember going into school and I was wearing like this Fred Perry polo shirt and my parka jacket and I loved Amy Winehouse so I had my hair in the whole high beehive with my little bandana and my hoops in and a teacher turned to me and said you look like a cleaner and I was like really offended as if like a cleaner was a bad thing I was like I've got family members that are cleaner family and friends that are cleaners what a strange thing to say though it being so like so um you know what's the word I'm looking for like 
fuck you basically I was like I don't care what everybody thinks about the way that I dress and who I am and I always got told I looked like a boy because I was dressing in Doc Martens and Fred Perry shirts and the Fred Perry polo shirts weren't, weren't from the women's section they were from the, the extra small and the lads section yeah. I didn't care fashion to me is just clothes it doesn't matter who wears them or what what where it comes from yeah. whatever it it's is just like, putting people in a box but in it we're, we're a bit obsessed with that and I think we're getting better to an extent to an extent mm. of not putting people in boxes Jimmy and going, you look like a, you look like a, not, I just look like a look the day. <laughs> Do you know I mean, That's in the modern there's some totally different. Um, this is what you call expression, <laughs> self-expression. <laughs> Do you know I mean, why do we need to label folk? It's funny because I had such a confidence at, you know, 16. I just, I had a couple years of therapy behind me and like, you know, was understanding who I was, mm. what my was in the world. I was in a band, like, you know, I, I was, I was, loving my time I wasn't having necessarily a great time at school and the school environment in terms of like you know it's hard to do full-time training at 16 and and have that kind of lifestyle like I didn't really enjoy that too much at that section but my outside life was very much like punk rock and scooter rallies and like the place where I felt a sense of that I was something and I was a part of something and then there's something that happened when all that confidence and that self-belief that I had got absolutely battered out of me and it didn't, it took me then. I wasn't, you know, I was rocking up. I, I know that I was not the best songwriter and I was rocking up and being like that. I'm the next Debbie Harry. I'm the next whoever. And was so confident and the hair, the makeup, the dress, the getting on stage with the band, all of it. Yeah. Loved it. So two fingers to any kind of like criticism. And then that disappeared. And I, you know work out all the time like where did it go where did the confidence go like where and it it took me a long time and through some quite you know traumatic experiences in my life to get to the point and do not get me wrong like you know the opening night of Moorcroft I was an absolute wreck and I had and some some somebody would thrive in that environment of like the show had opened we had great reviews we had the stand innovations I did my dad proud I did the boys proud and, and there was, you know, the opening night party and everybody was there and celebrating my dad. And it was one of the most beautiful moments of my life. I remember, like, being in Maggie Mays across the road, having a full-on panic attack because I was going, I don't deserve this. People are saying really nice things and I don't deserve it. And crying to my dad the next day going, I'm so overwhelmed. And some other person would be taking this and going, look what I've done, I'm amazing, I'm great. And I don't feel like that. I feel, I feel like that imposter syndrome took over like completely took over at the point in my life that I'd worked super super hard for yeah. and like that I'd done everybody proud and you can tell yeah. yourself that it's pure that self-sabotage do you know what I mean like I'm your pal a lot of what you've said very much resonates I mean the self-sabotage thing it's just it's not to be underestimated oh but ah but you're doing well I you're, you're great like look how well you're doing I mean I <laughs> but there's this other wee voice going ah but ah but sometimes I love that voice though because it keeps your feet in the ground like oh a hundred percent I mean you don't like is that don't you know get above your station or or like almost like I but what are you going to keep working hard at because you don't want to lose that graft yeah you know you don't want to be like well I can do things now you know things I I just make things happen no 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 we go back to the start because we start grafting in the next project it's the same amount of work required it's not you're no, you know, you're one step up the ladder, and you've got, you've got a lot of that ammunition, all the stuff you've learned, or you know, the failures, or the rest of it. But every new project is going to bring its own challenges, and you're going to just need to work just probably just as hard, if not harder, because there's mm. expectations 
you make your first thing like second album first, syndrome in it this is it it's a, that Louis Capaldi documentary I think depicts it so accurately and there was an interview that I watched with the poet Rupi Carr and she was talking about she released Milk and Honey self-published and then she released um The Sun and Her Flowers was her next book and she released that and said that it was the most terrifying thing and then we were at my dad and I were at the stage debut awards this, uh, last year because Moorcroft was nominated for best new play which was mental and that was another day another day I was sat in the room you know around the table going my dad was lapping up he was like oh, look at this Ailey. look at this us me you here in a room full of people like this having a three-course meal and nominated for a play, and I was shitting myself. Not about the winning. The winning didn't matter. It was the yeah. fact that I was going, why am I here? Why am I here? This is crazy. This is mental. And I've kind of got to a point now where I'm like, I am so exhausted and done thinking that way. And so, and it just is like a little light switch. Like, I go, nah, I've worked too hard. I've worked too hard to undersell myself. I've worked too hard not to be proud of the success and the graft that I've done and then it is you go back to you go back to you know stage one and you, you start all over again and it's it's stuff that you've learned from you know what you've done before comes with you but it's still okay. your new of going oh god like here we go again like this is this is it starting and and it's all those little in between things like you know one of my favorite things that like because some people don't read things about them and some people do kind of sit in the middle sometimes I think it's really useful to read do you know what it is Lisa it's so weird I'm doing I'm doing the short film with short sharps at the minute and I said to them at the beginning I went look this is my first ever time being a filmmaker like I need all the advice and all the support and all the notes and I said listen I'm an actor I am used to harsh criticism and rejection like just give me the notes blankly I love criticism I love criticism I criticize myself to the point sometimes it is detrimental but often mm. I'm like that like it's because I hold myself to a really high yeah and stand. you're like well you can't say anything worse than what I'm saying to myself so it'll be fine <laughs> whatever you say to me I'm probably saying worse to myself <laughs> this is it and it's like this was something I loved that I read about myself and felt really proud and was very grateful to Mark Fisher for putting it in the interview you know, the Scotsman um, had made me one of their ones to watch this year, which was I, I incredibly overwhelmed and grateful for them giving me, you know, the, the time and, you know, that title to sort of do the things I'm doing this year. And Mark said, Mark and I spoke, I think he's brilliant. I've got, you know, I, I absolutely loved chatting with him. And we were chatting about all sorts and some of it wasn't even to do with work or whatever. Yeah. We were just chatting away and uh, did a couple of wee developments, a couple of jobs, and then I was back working in Vipery and you know Seven Dials in London, and like I was proud of that. And I think a lot of people go, "Oh, but you've done this really cool big thing. It's been a real big hit. Like, what are you on to next?" I was on to stuff happening after that, but I still need to pay my rent and I still need to get yeah. money coming. In. It doesn't just like one thing happens for you, then the next minute that's you. You'd never need to work in a kind of part time job that you don't really want to do again and that was key for me and I'm so so more than anything in that article was so buzzing Mark put that in because I hope that other people were reading it and going that's normal and not going oh she's had it's to go back it's not like and I love Fred Perry that's one of the best jobs I've ever had uh-huh. the people love the brand the, the brand are such you know ambassadors of subculture and young emerging creatives 
And it was something I absolutely loved. And, you know, I was doing the Short Sharps course and taking the meetings in the stockroom with Fred Perry. It's, the, it's part of the adventure. It, it keeps things exciting. I mean, that that's, that keeps it alive and fresh. I mean, you don't want it to all be shiny and new. Like, the, the kind of gravelly bits, the messy bits, the, oh, God, run about like heedless chicken bits. That's the best bit, really. It is. And you learn so much about yourself and I think it just keeps you grounded. And like I've got a mate who's just came off of a big feature film with like, you know, was out in Rome, you know, shooting this big thing, then went on to do a play after that. You know, we actually worked on it together. And then now he's like back in his job when he's not an actor as a teaching assistant and is very proud of that and loves the kids and the kids love him. And like, and I think sometimes a lot of people like see that going back to doing the job that pays the bills sometimes as like a unsuccessful thing of being like, oh, so you're back working in the pub. Oh, so you're back working in Fred Perry. I thought you just did really well. It's like, I am still doing well, thanks, but I need to pay my bills. And I absolutely, you know, I, I don't have that privilege of just getting to, set about between jobs you know you know running off on adventures and writing new scripts like I gotta pay pay my rent somehow so like yeah. you're back and you know working your part-time job and we need to normalize it especially for young people coming out of drama school thinking that they get their first daily job or their first theater job and then that's it here we go for some people that is it's a small percentage of people that that happens to that's not a real representation of what the rest of the working actor looks like. And you'll be taking nuggets of wisdom for everything you do that you don't even realise, like stuff that's happening, stuff that's been said, you know, when you're working in a shop, when you're, if you're working in a pub, if you're on the set of your film, like, it's all good stuff. It all just feeds back into the pot. Do you know what I mean? Like you were saying, it kind of keeps you grounded as well, like, in terms of, this is just yeah. real life. Do you know what I mean? And what I, because as you go through life, like, alongside your career is actual real life and people coming in and out of your life and all that stuff do you know what I mean and I think it's just important to be like this career thing doesn't run separately to who I am and my mental health and my family life and my pals and all the stuff that's happening do you know what I mean but it without you knowing it or realizing it, it probably is all feeding back into your work somehow it's, it's really important to separate yourself from work as well as it been a part of you because mm-hmm. I've, I've people throughout you know the industry so far are graduate actors or whatever it is and ask that question of going if you took acting away from me or you took writing away from me and I was never allowed to do it again what would I be what would I do I can't stand this sounds terrible but I I genuinely can't stand conversations where your pals are all about who's casting this and who's doing that and blah 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 and I've got a really solid group of mates that we all look after each other like me and Anna Russell Martin are brilliant pals and I think the absolute world of that girl and we get together and we talk about work for a little bit and then we'll just be talking about everything else or what we want to do together I'll be going on holiday and and it's the same, like, my, my little group from drama school, like, we're exact same. Like, my pal, Jack James Ryan, and I, we get, he's doing amazing things at the minute. He's absolutely soaring. And we get together and we absolutely talk about work and we're there for each other with work and self-tapes. And here, by the way, do you know, so-and-so is casting this thing. But we're friends, not just, we're friends, not because we're actors. I think during the pandemic, I, I, I would assume a lot of people would kind of relate to how I felt like I was a bit like, who am I if I'm not doing my work? Yeah, and yeah. then I was like, oh, wait a minute, like, uh, you've got something else to offer other than just Lisa who does the dancing or Lisa who does the podcast. Do you know what I mean? It's, I always say to people, like, have a hobby. Like, see if see if all of this get taken away from me, I'd be absolutely gutted, right? Obviously, I love it. It's my pride. It's my joy, whatever else. But the one thing that 
sometimes sometimes depending on what you know what spoke about that mental health battle and all the rest of it sometimes the only thing that gets me up in the morning is northern soul is listening to northern soul records or dancing or and that's who i am like i would like to be oh yeah ailey the actor the writer whatever but she's also a solely and she's part of that northern soul community and when i go to these northern soul nights and i've got amazing power like they don't care like that I'm an actor or I'm a painter and decorator or I'm a tiler or I'm a teacher. We're there because of that music. And that's why I love the community so much. So I always say to people, going to make sure that you like something else that's nothing to do with the industry. Rock climbing, kayaking, football, something that is not to do with your work because so that's... If I've got a rejection for something, I'll, I'll go put Northern Soul music on and I will dance my wee heart out in the floorboards. Or if I'm buzzing and I've been accepted for something, Northern Soul, boom, let's go party. Like, that's it. <laughs> I think that's for me when I saw that video of you dancing, because I don't know you, I was like, whoa, that kind of stopped me in my tracks of like, wait a minute, she does this. Like, I need no more. I mean, phenomenal when I was watching I was like how cool is that like I've never tried it I'd love to like of all the dance styles like obviously folk, I've never done Irish dancing which is quite like to have a go at and I've never done Northern so it just looks so cool but you need to be fit as a fiddle to do it my god it's just constant you know, it's dead funny like I really appreciate you saying that because it's it's my pride and it's my joy and it's like those floorboards have seen tears of all sorts like I love it more than <sighs> anything in the world I love Northern Soul and I love the community and I love what it stands for and it's like when you're dancing it's the it's the only time because I danced my whole life and was five six seven eight and posture and boom and arms and whatever and it's the first time when I was like a wee and I was dancing with my dad and you know like it's, it's the first time that I felt like as cheesy as a game free like I, I was just listening to what the lyrics were saying and what the beat was doing and I was able to just like and it's not it's it's quite like gritty the moves like it's not necessarily pretty or feminine or like you know it's not a sexy way of dancing like you would be in a nightclub like my pals laugh at me right because we'll be out in a night out it's my pal Jack I was just talking about Jack is also a fabulous northern soul dancer he's a proper Mancunian and he's Manchester music and the two of us like you know did a play together at drama school that had northern soul in it and it just like bonded us and and we'll go out and nights out and we'll be listening to like Lizzo will come on and then the t- and he looks at me and I'm like oh Lizzo and I'll start Northern Soul dancing or you know he goes I do it this song this song and we just don't care like I'm not you know when we go out I'm nightclubs of like night out culture has always been interesting for me because I'd, I would rather go to a working man's pub with my dad and dance to Northern Soul music than be stuck in a nightclub playing tunes that I don't feel anything for literally my 40th was in September and I was like I want to go clubbing but I don't want to go clubbing so basically I just hired the hall the Lithuanian club that my dad drinks in that that was my first adult dance class that I ever taught was in the Lithy in the wee like side room of the Lithy where that was back in the days where you could still smoke right and they had their plastic ashtrays and we used to use them as top hats for some of the dancers <laughs> and uh, I booked the Lithy and I, I made the playlist yeah. And it was just all my mates and we just danced the entire night and I was like, that's how I wanted to spend my 40th, just like dancing like I used to do when I used to go clubbing. We used to go to Blanket on a Thursday night and the, like, the roof was like sweating on you and it was all about the dancing. Like I don't drink so it was just literally I was going to dance and that's what I wanted. Like yeah, no, I'm, I'm so with you 100%. And the characters that you meet in these places and the stories and the pattern, like oh, the dream. It's the most supportive community I've ever 
ever been involved in in my life. Like when we were shooting the short film, you know, we were just dancing between takes and people were up spinning about. And there was one guy that came up to us and, you know, this was all like Northern Soul dancers I've met through the scene that came to be a part of the film. You know, my granny, my wee granny was stood at the side being one of, she didn't get on the dance floor, but she was just watching all. It was lovely for my family to kind of come and see how like a set can work and all the rest of it. And my dad was dancing in it and, Really, that's amazing. so cool, man. That's brilliant. Oh, it was life-changing. It was one of the best days of my life. It really was. And this guy, this guy came up to us um, and said, you know, he's been on soul dancing since he's been a wee boy and all the rest of it. And he got really emotional and he said, you know, this has been one of the best days of my life is to be able... And so there's a bit in the film where he does a trick because I went, I want him to see himself on the big screen, not just as a part of the ensemble, but I want him specifically to have a moment because he was like that. He felt he felt like a king. Like, we did a whole bit. I was like, right, you, like, come forward, come forward and do this drop for me and blah, blah, blah. And he went, what, me, me? And I was like, aye, we want you. We want you to do it. And... And it was a, and there's a woman from there's a woman from Renfrew who we shot the film. The ethos behind the film was like community. You know, we shot it in the street that I grew up in. We shot it in the community centre that I used to dance in. Like, and we had loads of local people come down. The scooter club that my dad's a part of came down. And there was a woman that turned to me and says, "You know, I, I really feel seen for the first time in a long time being here today." And I just bawled my eyes out because I was like, "Oh, could you know what? See, at the end of the day, it doesn't it doesn't matter about." how good the outcome of something is it's those people that that feel like they've got a sense of achievement and pride and being a part of this thing and it was just the best day of my life and it was like it was just amazing to watch so many people feel a sense of importance it was the same in Moorcroft and like and I think I'll always champion that but I've had people at Northern Soul events come up to me and go how do you do that and you spend half an hour getting to know them getting to know their life and there was a, a woman at the, the, the Barrowlands used to do, they've just stopped it this year, which is heartbreaking because of like financial things. But they used to have a big famous Northern Soul dance in the Barrows every year. It's called the Barrowland of Soul. And a woman came last year and they, and you see the same faces, all these events. Of course. This girl came up to us and she said, listen, my mate's into, you know, soul and disco. I don't know what I've walked into here, but like, what the hell is this? And we spent ages talking about records and the rise of soul and, you know, the north of England and what the history behind it. And by the end of the night, this girl who had never done Lauren's soul dancing before, who was like, oh, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Was in the middle, like the middle of the Barrowlands ballroom spinning about sweating her tits off buzzing this is amazing and I thought she's found she's unlocked something in herself here today and that's that's what it is it's 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 the best thing ever and anybody can do it it's not like a you don't walk in you know some subcultures you can walk into and feel like oh I don't really belong here yes just even the way you're talking about it it seems so welcoming and just like I come and have a go Go have a go and nobody laughs. Like I've fallen on that dance floor trying a new trick so many times and people just go, right, up you, you're wee fanny, and you just continue <laughs> on. That's just what it is. It's just support and community. It's at its finest and and it's oh do you know what? And that's, that's I mean, like you can take eight nails away from me, but that like that is my that's the thing that makes my heart beat is just and to be able to have done the short and represent it and well, have some... thinking to marry those two worlds. I know you're saying, and it is important to keep those two things separate. And obviously your dancing will always continue. Like, uh, you know, the film will be a thing and you'll make it and that'll be great. But the dancing is not no going anywhere. But how lovely to bring those two worlds together, you know, and, and, and you being in a different role behind the camera and directing that. And like, it's phenomenal. Like, I'm so in awe of you. Like, you sound like somebody who just like, you're clearly very talented and skilled and you've honed that, but also like, you're somebody that gives stuff a go 
you know what I mean? Like that the fact that you said on set, like, this is my first time, so you're gonna to need to help me. Like, I totally admire that because I like sometimes we're all kicking about kidding on that try to look like we know what we're talking about. And sometimes it's just better just to say, I don't know what's happening. Can somebody tell me? You know, and just fast track yourself into like the, the joy with all That's that it. nonsense. I really appreciate you saying that because it's like what is the point in particular like, it's the same like when I that directed Moorcroft you know Andy Arnold I, I owe Andy Arnold so many pints because I think he's amazing and Cora Bissett and I were actually chatting about it the other day of how much he is a real champion of, of artists and giving them their first opportunity not a lot of people would have done what Andy did give a young working class woman a main house show for the first time that she'd ever directed or written anything and he took that risk because he could see like the how excited and the passion and he was always there he was always like if you need anything or you want to ask any questions I'm here but you've got this and he instilled that confidence for me to do that and it's and and it comes from like holding your hands up and saying guys I don't know how to do it like I was sat in a tech with Gary Cameron Michaela Fee, the lighting designer in Moorcroft, going, right, you two, listen, I've always been on the other side of that stage. So use are, if, I, if there's terminology I don't know, like, I'm just going to ask. And it's and it's, and it's Carl Precop that I spoke about earlier that taught me that. I did, I did a version of Macbeth with Carl, and he, the man's a genius. He's an absolute genius, and he's a fantastic director, one of the best I've worked with. And Carl was saying we were discussing a scene in the show, and Carl went, "Guys, I don't have a, I don't have a clue what that means. Does MD know what that means?" And I thought, "Oh, directors are supposed to have all the answers. What do you mean?" And he went, "I literally don't know. It's MD get a better idea because what I'm coming up with is pure shite. MD else, and somebody put an idea forward. He went, "That's it. We're doing great design. We're going with that. You know, it's for the good of the show, for the good of the film. Like, let's just get there rather than like kidding on. You know, we know all, but we're all got this common goal of making things really good. So if we could just get out our way." get out your own way, get out everybody else's way and just say it like say it like it is. And we don't have, you shouldn't have all the answers. I think the minute you think you've got the answers, then something's went awry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's something wrong. <laughs> Laura Dinnett, that was our DP on Soul, she is just sensationally talented. And I said to Laura, I said, listen, I'm good at communicating with actors. I cannot tell you what a shot's called. And it was through working with Laura you know, she was like, okay, this is how... So I was giving her, I said, look, I want it... It's the same with Gary Cameron. I'll describe things to creative people and go, I want it to feel like bam, bam, boom, bam, or sound like ding, ding, ding. And they go, okay, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. It's not like uh, two of my pals that I went to drama school with, Ross White and um, Tom Berkeley. they were actors in the year above me at drama school who, Ross, honest to God, sensationally talented. Tom, an amazing, plays music you know everything like two of them are brilliant they were actors they didn't go to film school they didn't you know have they could have so easily been intimidated by other filmmakers out there that didn't that followed maybe a more you know path that was for you know directing or you know um, being a dp or whatever else they've just won an oscar for their second ever short film and that's the kind of stories that i go people are allowed to cross over disciplines and it is that whole you know, just ask questions. Like, you can't be scared, especially as a woman as well. Sometimes I can walk into rooms and, you know, sometimes like, who is this wee 16-year-old coming in? And I'm like, oh, like, I'm actually 25 years old and, like, have something to say. Like, I don't want to feel patronised for, one, still being a young person in the industry who's still doing that climb. I'm always going to be doing that climb, but, like... I, by the way, and see if you were a 16-year-old, you'd still have something important to say and we better listen. Yeah, do you know what? Totally, you've totally nailed that. Like, the age is regardless, like, you mm -hmm. know...
regardless we just see people for you know the things that they bring into a room but like um, don't be scared to ask questions especially like I can you know speak from my experience as being a young woman in the industry that like oh I don't want to feel like a burden and do you know Julie actually said it so brilliantly on your episode and I, I'm talking about Julie because one I absolutely love her and think she's an amazing woman but I've also just re-listened to your episode with her but the two of you had a conversation about that of going not wanting to ask for more, more money or time off or when she was talking about the job that she got offered that she needed a week and I, I really resonated with that because I went you can ask for things and help is one of them going, guys, I don't know what this shot's called. I don't know how to set this up. I don't know what the next bit in the script is. Does anybody get any ideas? You know, sorry, I'm I'm going to have to say why, you know, why is somebody get why is that guy getting paid more than me or whatever, whatever it is, like ask things and ask. Because if you, it's that whole thing, like my dad says, like if you don't ask, you don't get. Was it shy wins, don't get any sweeties? Well, yeah, to be fair, the rule doesn't the rule doesn't uh, apply for birthdays and Christmases because just because you ask doesn't mean that you're going to get. Ask away. It's whether you're going to get it or no is another thing. But at least somebody might be impressed that you were gallus enough to ask or say. Earlier, I admire people with confidence and like genuine confidence that is worked on genuinely felt confidence. People can f- perform to be. And, you know, sometimes it requires us when you're having a shit day, you're like, come on, you can get through it. But I admire people who are just willing to give anything, anything a go. And so many people that, you know, you start to meet people throughout your career, you know, Gary Cameron being one of them, you know, Anna Russell Martin being another, like you start to meet people who you resonate with and you go, okay, we all think the same thing here and we understand like there's a bubble amongst us that will be a constant support, but also like I can learn from you from, you know, and I can ask you questions without feeling intimidated. Like Gary's desi- designed thousands of shows before we worked together. But did he patronise me to be like, oh, you don't know what Q-Lab is? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Like, at here, oh, I'll really? sit you down for five minutes on a lunch break and I'll show you so that when you go into another room, you know what it is. Do you know what I mean? It's the same. It's the same, like, just ask things. And if you fuck up, who cares? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, like I've felt embarrassed sometimes if I've gone into like an audition and like read the character completely wrong. But that, that's, you know, you go in and you give it a go, and like as long as you're open to receiving, as I said, you know, criticism is a good thing. As long as you're open to receiving, going, yeah, fair enough. It wasn't my best work. Cool. I understand why they've said that, or I understand why I didn't get it, or whatever. You're swimming. Like it's, it's. We are just too hard on ourselves all the time. So we got to just have fun with it. That's the other thing. It's like you got to just have fun in this industry. Like, I've got to just have fun in life, whatever it is you're doing. Like, like that life, that personal life and all that kind of thing does happen as well as your professional stuff, regardless of what industry you're in. But like, yeah, there has there has been like a couple of events that have happened over the past couple of years and it's like really punched home that, oh, fuck, life is really short. Like, life can be grabbed from you or, you know, flung up in the air and spat you out and just gone right that's that's what you're getting dealt for the next month or whatever it is and it's like being able to kind of be like go do you know what I'm just gonna grab it I'm just gonna fucking grab it so what else have I got to lose like and what I believe as well is like you know we are only here once and like you know that's even more of a reason for me to feel like I want to do everything and walk the where the earth the best way I can because I, I believe after that that's me like I've I've got something and you want to leave something behind like you want to leave you know that's how my dad felt during Moorcroft he was like what have I like apart from my kids like what have I got like to have left behind and I think him seeing himself in that show when actually I've done something of note with my life that I didn't think that I had done so it's those kind of things that you do realize when events hit you and you're just like right enough's enough 
stop being so hard on yourself allow your days to feel shite and whatever but you gotta you gotta get back up and get out there because it's we got that amount of time it's too short it's too short <laughs> oh Ellie, i'm taking all the good advice from you all the wisdom you're 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 spot on like you've just been so open and honest like i massively appreciate it and anyone listening i'm sure would say the same because um a lot of stuff is smoking mirrors, do you know what I mean? So it's just good to unveil, like pull the curtain back and go, this is actually what it is, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, and I mean, adults in general, I think we're just all kick, kick about kidding on that we know how to do life and we don't, we don't really. We don't, we don't know. And it's, it's a conversation I had with my mum and my dad. Like when you're wee, you think your mum and your dad are superheroes and like they can get through everything and anything and all the rest of it. And then I really felt there's been times when like, my mum and dad have needed like their children to big them up and be there for them through some tough situations and your role goes oh god we're all just human like we shouldn't be putting expectations on people to have it all figured out and sorted like and even if you do for that small period or that long period or whatever it is have it figured out there's always something that could rock it and it is going it's not living in that anxiety of going oh but this could be awful this could change but it is just having that awareness of when life does rock you know the boat does rock a little bit you you're going cool this is what i'm dealt with let's do it let's let's come on let's get this get this over with or, or get mm. through this or you know how do we talk about it or whatever, whatever it is it's just been it's been able to kind of have like a yeah that that sense of grounding that i think shouldn't ever disappear from anybody regardless of work or status or, or whatever like you always need to have that kind of sense of self and certainty so it can be tough but like got to just like find your thing like if anybody wants to listen to non-soul music i highly recommend it <laughs> i know you've made me i'm going to be like downloading some for my drive to largs that i'm doing in about half an hour's time but um i know that you're so you're in rossi like you mentioned earlier on i gave you this big long story on instagram about my one and only time in rossi and i was like she must be like what's she gonna about anytime somebody mentions rossi because my mom obviously loved rossi because like it was like a family place and like they went their honeymoon there and my only experience of rossi is somebody wrecking my brand new car and nearly knocking me into the sea and my mom was actually there at the time and she just kept saying to the guy this is a new car and he was like i'm really really sorry but it's a brand new car Sorry, so I had a terrible time in Rossi, but I'm hoping that you're having a more successful time in Rossi. It made me giggle when I read it because just I know the ferry port and I know the coming off and whatever it was. Just it, it made me laugh, but like I love it here. I absolutely love it, and it's like I had a I had a couple of days free from other bits that I'm about to start, and I went I need to go now because if I don't go just now, I'm not going to be able to come back until October because I'm doing some jobs. So I thought I need to just go now and do the research and development that I kind of set out to do. And it's crazy, like, you come back to somewhere that you've spent loads of time. Like, there was lots of things that happened on this island when I was wee that, like, were life-changing. And I, I cycled up to, like, the campsite and stuff like that that we used to go to. And even just getting on the ferry, I just started crying. I just started bawling my eyes out. And I was like, oh, one, yeah, I know I'm hormonal and I'm on my period, but two, this is actually just really emotional as well. <laughs> and it's probably heightened by the fact I'm really hormonal, but like I was just bawling, absolutely bawling because it was like, the thing that I'm working on is so unbelievably personal. Like Moorcroft was so personal as well. And this is like something else that it's something that I'm just like, I'm I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to. Same attitude I had with Moorcroft. This is like the, the, one of the things that I feel unbelievably passionate about telling. And it was just interesting. And the conversations that you're overhearing people like, 
I loved sitting in pubs and around people and like I was I was basically here to do some like location hunting and I need to go to Rossi and just research about the town again and and it's been crazy how much comes back to you like I was this is for a film yeah it's for it's it's for a film that I'm working on and it's like I had to stop my bike because I started pissing myself laughing because I was cycling around because I kept forgetting the distances of things like I was like oh where did the ferry port where did I go where do you go when you come off of here like, I'll just get on my bike and I'll just like cycle about and I got I turned a corner and like this like little bit of land was presented in front of me and I just started howling because there was just so many funny stories that happened in this little you know this little bit of grass yes. and women was going by on her bike and she's just like are you okay and I was like yeah I'm fine <laughs> It's great. It's I love. I love. I love it. I love Rossi. I love Millport. I love all those wee islands like that aren't the visit Scotland adverts of the beautiful. Which obviously I've never visited. Sort of like you know Stornoway or Shetland no, Islands. Or me whatever. neither. Me neither. Rossi's brilliant. It's great. It's like even like have you ever been to Saltcoats? Yes, I did. Uh, my first Broad Brave live was when Saltcoats with Johnny McKnight I interviewed Johnny in front of a live audience. That was my first one that oh. ever did it and it was in Saltcoats Town Hall last year because he's from that area so it made sense for it to happen the there. yeah it was great I loved that I used to love going down I loved going on the Caterpillar ride like all these wee kind of like seaside towns like yes. you know I absolutely adore them I adore like Blackpool is one of my favourite places on the planet take me to any big sophisticated spa or whatever alright cool but Blackpool, Blackpool. like Blackpool, Brighton, your Saltcoats, your Rossies, anywhere that is has that, 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 I don't know how to describe the it. Two pens machines. Yeah, any tacky arcade, <laughs> love it, a pure buzz off it, any, any time we're like, because we go down to Blackpool for the Northern Soul Championships that are held in the Blackpool, you know, Tower Ballroom, yes. which is so which is a lifelong goal to visit. I've been to Blackpool once on a Mc- I used to work at McDonald's in Motherwell, and we went on McDonald's like staff day out to Blackpool, and because of the I was only about eighteen or something at the time, I just went with the crowd and we ended up in a pub all day. And but I never seen anything of Blackpool, so it's my lifelong oh. ambition to get to Blackpool to see this ballroom because I'm like I can't believe I've never seen the actual ballroom before. I've seen it on the telly, obviously, but I need to get myself to Blackpool just so I can go to the the ballroom. It is. It's different when you walk in, especially like when the Northern Soul dancing. Like I cry, you know, walk in. Oh my god, massive ballroom. Here's the Northern Soul, and I cry. But like, even just like my ideal holiday is like Pleasure Beach. Like me, and my me and my pal went to the Pleasure Beach. Like just the two of us. It was me and my pal Jack, and Jack was in Coronation Street at the time. We were walking about the Pleasure Beach, and it was empty. So we were just getting straight on ride. We were on every five times and then we stopped to get like you know donuts and whatever else and the guy behind the things like eh, oh you're that guy for Corey so we get free donuts free drinks and I was like that I'm hanging about with you more often like the thing is he dealt with it so well it's another level to the industry that like you know I've not experienced that massive scale of like people knowing who you are when you walk down the street and I think there's a real responsibility behind that you know he does it so beautifully well of going he stops and takes time and he gets to know people what are you doing what's your job hope you have a good day you know because he comes from a working class family and his sister is an actor and you know his, bro- his brother's an actor and they 
taught each other like you know and they're just good people like there's no you know sometimes people are like oh I met so-and-so off the telly they're an arsehole like the way he dealt with all that was just amazing and and, and it's such a skill set but you know if you hang about with pals that are on Corey you get free donuts so it's highly recommended (laughs) excellent advice from Ellie Lone there (laughs) and um, (laughs) when can we see so so we're just doing, again, another thing I'm getting my head around that I've never done before is the kind of like, you know, the festival schedule and this festival sort of programme and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm working with Stuart Condy, who's the producer on, on Soul um, and the team at Screen Scotland and Short Sharps and just putting together the best way that we can market the film, really, because it's it's a short in its own right. And, you know, it's a coming of age story about leaving home, but it's got a longer form to it you know these characters exist in a full-length thing so you know the idea that I'm sort of looking towards doing that it would be really important to us that lots of people get to see what the short can do and what the soul scene can represent on screen so they can see it and go class let's make the full thing or the series out of it or whatever it is like so we're just being quite careful about how we want to sort of pitch it and market it and we were saying though like we want to have a wee sort of private mini premiere for like all the dancers that were a part of the film and all the community like my neighbour that gave us her uh, you know his garage to film in and get everybody down to the town hall sorry the community centre that we filmed in and get a big projector up and just watch it and then have another soul dance after it so you'll be absolutely more than welcome to come down and try some other soul then and, and watch the film we'd love, yes. love to have <laughs> oh, Ellie, that's so kind. I'm excited for you, like, to do that because it'll just be lovely, just to be like, look at the thing we made. Like, how cool is that? All the people in that room, like, that's a huge thing for them as well as you. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it is what it is because of the people. You've totally nailed it. It's the reason that you know, the reason I, I I'm doing what I'm doing in the industry as well is because of the soul the soul scene. You know, it's my identity, confidence, and all you know, as well as my parents and all the rest of it. But this is something that's so unbelievably personal and it, it, it doesn't exist. The stories don't exist. The the characters, the dancing doesn't exist without these people. And when do you get to see yourself on a big screen if you aren't an actor? You know what I mean? And it's so funny because we've got um, my wee pal, Jack Morgan, who's another soul dancer who is just absolutely brilliant. He's got a big bit in it where he does like all these tricks and just to sit and watch yourself like and other people be impressed by that mm-hmm. skill. Like the wee guy I was telling you about earlier on, he's got a bit. And this uh, Paul McCall plays my dad in the film, who is just an absolute laugh. I was in stitch the whole time we were filming. That guy had us all laughing. He's brilliant, and because he's my dad in the film, and then my real dad was actually like dancing. There was this really weird, like even when Paul was on set, people kept thinking he was my actual dad. You were like. So that's amazing you're doing something with your daughter or like people kept going, Gary, oh God, no, the real Gary, where's the real Gary? It was so funny. And so like, there's a bit in the film where like, you know, I showed my dad a very, I, I didn't want to show my dad that until, you know, the final cut's been done. I showed yes. him a tiny little bit of the end of the film and everybody's not in soul dancing. And he's watching it like this, pure like, my mum's crying because of the story's quite emotional. The characters kind of say goodbye on the dance floor together, and it's quite sad. My mum's getting really upset watching it, and I'm, I'm like looking at looking at them both, and my dad's sitting in this dead serious face. And I, in my like you know head, I thought it was going to go turn around, and go brilliant, brilliant, loved it. Didn't he sat there watching and going, "Where's my bit? Where's my bit?" I was like, "Mate, you've just had a full play about you, like." 
Where's my? And the thing is, when we were there filming it, he didn't want a bit. He didn't want it. No, don't get me. Don't get me. Don't get. Just get me in the background. And, and I had to tell them we sat down and had dinner the Sunday before we started filming. I said, "Right, everybody, remember the one big rule when we're filming is." And all of them in unison was like, "Don't look at the camera." Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because like I'm also I'm writing another show at the minute um with like the David Pure Commission, which is just unreal and amazing to work with him. And um it's about my granny and it's called it's called Kathy and it's about my gran and like about her life and you know, like the process of grieving, like when you become a widow and and it's just mental because at every family event now I'm kind of getting cornered into somebody saying I've got a brilliant story that you could make a play out of. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Here we go. Here's that lassie that makes plays about us. <laughs> here's, that, here's that cousin that makes plays about our family, Listen, you know. You're sorted for life. You've got the materials all there. <laughs> They're just <laughs> queuing up. Yeah. Some of them love it and some of them are like that. Don't put me in it. Don't put me in it. And you're like that. All right, no worries. But I'm co- I'm writing down everything you've just said because it's absolute gold dust. <laughs> People are brilliant and they like, you know, what a joy and a privilege this is for me to sit with you and, and hear your story and it's only like a tiny window into your whole amazing life, the, the people that make you you who you are and the things that you've done so far and the things that you're going to do really like I feel like this has been such a privilege to like just sit and hit blether with you, I could, could go on for hours. But we'll need, to, we'll need to do an actual in-person coffee and just sit and put the world to rights. I'd love it. It's awesome what you do, it really is. Anybody that takes time to interview and get to know other people's lives in order to, you know, put it on a platform and help other people, I have so much admiration for, you know, and you're revealing parts to yourself, you know, constantly. Like, I'm doing one episode with you and talking about it, but you're getting, you know, it's loads and loads of, you're like 100 episodes in, aren't you? Like, you've got... You'll be 206. Oh. 200 people so like that, but it only happens that. because of the folk they say yes and you've said yes and you could have said no and you don't know me and like so I massively appreciate your time and energy I I get everything that's been said about you's right I, I get the vibe I'm getting all the good vibes oh. um I, I think you're wonderful and I'm so excited to see your work everything that I know of it today is just like you've just summed up beautifully and now I've got a window into the world and behind the scenes like uh, I just wish you all the best I know you're just going to continue to soar but make sure you look after yourself amidst it all make sure you do plenty of dancing because it's obviously oh, it's so good for your soul I'm going to a soul thing on s- Sunday I don't know what it is though it's in the bad uh, uh, it's in bad soul session or something it's called I'm not sure if there's oh. going to be soul dancing I don't know I hope there is Northern I soul hope- I'll let you request a wee Northern Soul number so somebody knows what they're doing can teach me. <laughs> my, my, mate, we, my mate, when it was, we were at drama school, it was my mate's 21st birthday in Belfast, my pal Oren, and we went, I went over for his birthday and um, his dad's a big soul fan. And so he was just, he was says, oh, we've got a wee shout out, Ailey's come over from Scotland to celebrate Oren's birthday, here's a wee soul number. And I remember Oren looking at me going, my dad's not played one song for me and it's my bloody birthday <laughs> because he loves Northern Soul so much. <laughs> Is some of my pals like you know that weren't soul dancers have come to soul events now and just fell in love with it and just you know and just we went to much like yourself I'm not I'm not like a big drinker at all I maybe had like one or two gins like I've definitely with alcohol kind of maybe pushed that boat out a bit too far when I was younger and now kind of go oh I never really want to feel like that again or kind of go down that path that I was going yeah. down when I was in or anything like that I just so I'll have like a couple of maybe gins or whatever but 
you know, it's so funny that I've been all nighters and been up dancing till six in the morning, and people are like, "How are you doing this with no substance?" <laughs> That's the drug. That's the drug. The feeling it gives you moving your body oh. to that music with those people. That's the drug. That's all you need. That's on that dance floor till six in the morning. Absolutely. You know that we went to an all nighter in the Hundred Club, a really famous venue in Oxford Street that does soul events, and you know the Sex Pistols and amazing bands and all that played there. And we went to a Northern Soul event, um, and they are. And I don't. I didn't get off the dance floor once at, at till six in the morning, and Amazing. all I had a, a Red Bull. That's my my mind and my mental health and all that can't take sort of drugs and alcohol. Like, uh, you know, the hangovers of stuff like that are far too much. Like, it's too. I go into like a pit for days and days and days and days after, and I go. You reach a point in your life when you're like, I'm not 16, 17 years old. Where that's mm-hmm. funny. Or like I'm an adult and I don't enjoy that lifestyle and you know like it's absolutely holding nothing against people that do yeah, go out each to their own some people need a blowout and all that rest of it. I 100% but it's, it's important to know yourself and it sounds like you've kind of took the time to get to know yourself and what's good for you and what's no good for you and like yeah that's like yeah that's important do you know what I mean because then it allows you to do all the, the the nice stuff that you want to be able to do and like keeps that creative just the creative juices flowing and hopefully keeps the self-doubt at bay (laughs) especially when you've got you know you do suffer with some mental health illnesses like I do with my panic attacks anxiety uh no matter how hilarious I find myself when I've had maybe one too many gins it's not worth the four days after of regretting my whole entire life (laughs) and it is really like I can't like I know some people get hangovers or whatever I can't get out of bed like I cannot get out of bed because I physically am so like oh my god my life's going to end the world's going to end everything's so terrible and I go oh I can't be asked doing that again like it's just not too much hard work no I know I know and you know what as well like it's it's a really important conversation to my mum and dad and I we talk about you know drugs and alcohol and anything like sex everything like we're such an open family and you know I've got my younger sister as well who's just off at that 18 year old coming of age university stuff and we're all amazing and we're all really open and talk about it which I didn't realize wasn't necessarily like you know like it's always been the case growing up in my house I could talk to my mom and dad about anything and you know it was interesting when I did see friends that were like oh don't tell my mom and dad I was doing that last night I'm like that yeah. why like I didn't get it until like oh like you know some people's parents are parents you know my minds are my best pals <laughs> yeah. I'm the same like yeah because like my mom will sometimes say to me you're fed up hanging about with me like no she's like my best pal like if anything she's probably fed up hanging about with me because all, all I do is worry about things and ask her questions and go I don't know what to do this and can you help me with this I'm like 40 and I'm still asking her for <laughs> how do you, you do life <laughs> so I was very privileged to have good families for the sounds of things who are 100% behind you like I know how lucky I am I definitely know how lucky I am to have parents which sound very similar to yours um but yeah, no, Elia, I, I can't thank you enough. Like, I, as I say, I could hold you hostage here forever more, but I'm aware that you do have stuff to do the day. Oh, I'm just going. Do you know? I'm, I'm my, my legs are actually sore from all the cycling I've been doing, but I'm going to do one more, one more loop round, and then I'm on the ferry back home tonight, which will be quite emotional leaving Rossi. But I'm yeah, I hopefully be spending quite a lot more time over here. You know, and the as the developments and stuff continue so no but I yeah thanks so much for your time and for for asking us to come on it's been absolutely brilliant and such a lovely way to spend my time here actually when I have been working on something new to reflect and go oh yeah like it's been lovely just to kind of chat through some bits and I've got so much so much respect for for what you do and the people you get on and 
airparts that's kind but no like i know we've just touched the iceberg in terms of what you have done and what you are doing right now so i'm fully aware of that but like anybody listening like just um go and experience your work i know Moorcroft is coming back we are oh god i'm going to be there this time i'll be there fomo i'll be there it's mental and you know we're all dead excited to be back and you know and the fact that we're getting to take each other bits of scotland is unbelievable like working working with the tron was a dream come true tick and then working with nts is another dream come true tick like and the tron you know you and julie were talking about the tron in, in your episodes as well when i was listening to it they are one of the best group of people i've ever met like lisa keenan gave me my first job at the tron like you know and then just kept get me back to work on other things like and that you know and that's you know i met i met julie like well because julie was in doing panto when i was working on the wee show the wee christmas show upstairs and met so many amazing people there met gary cameron there like it's a tremendous place just wonderful humans doing wonderful things like i can't shout about the tron enough uh, me neither every single member of that theater from the producers to you know marketing to outreach with lisa to your front of house staff, your bar staff, all of them, an absolutely incredible group of people. And it's amazing to see the theatre get the recognition that it deserves. Um, And I think, you know, Andy does have a lot to do with that as well. And, you know, I think he's just such an amazing artistic director, incredible. And, And it's just, it's a place where, like, you go and you don't feel that intimidation walking in, you know. It's a real, like, yeah, I just I can't speak highly enough of of the theatre. MD and my pals that come to Glasgow, I'm like, go and see what's on the strong, go and see what's on the strong, go and see what's on the strong, and it's like they're just incredible and absolutely. I have some some of the the funniest and best stories and in, in that upstairs changing house rehearsing Moorcroft and then like yes. me and Anne dressing rooms for me my me and my sister like just amazing like amazing experiences that happen at the theatre and yeah so I am glad you share that same same passion for the people there they're just fucking brilliant <laughs> well I wish all of that and more for you you know to continue it sounds like you're just doing amazing work you're doing the stuff that you want to do and like that like you're saying that is a gift in life to be able to do the things that you want to do but you're obviously extremely talented and extremely passionate and that this podcast is about people and their passions and you know you're in equal measures bra and brave in my opinion so i just wish you all the best daily thanks so much for that lisa it's been a brilliant brilliant day to just spend chatting to you so thanks so much for having us on again i really appreciate it all the links will go in the show notes so like for you know and i'll now you're in the clan you see so everything you're doing like if you need me to shout in now i'll be shouting for the rooftops oh, that's it you're in you're in the family now <laughs> well whenever i go for a soul dance i'll let you know so you can come along yes <laughs> oh i'm excited Go and have the rest of your day. Enjoy your cycling round, Rossi. Time, take care. Take care, Ellie. Cheers. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.